Hi, James. Welcome back to the podcast. I have mm-hmm. a cold, so it must be time to record again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I woke up this morning and there was not any coffee in the coffee pot like there often is. So um, I'm only a couple minutes into drinking my coffee, so we'll see. I'm guessing we'll manage to somehow uh, power through. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I um, am no longer counting how many times that that I have gotten COVID or (laughs) bumped into someone (laughs) who had gotten COVID and then got sick afterward. I think I'm past my, my fifth time where I, where (laughs) I knew that it was kind of a big deal, Mm. but there may have been some other times, but yeah, we have a friend of ours, an older lady who we interact with a lot, who is sick with COVID right now. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly I have this bad cold again. So I think they were talking about what a couple of years ago that this might be something that becomes endemic. So I'm the I'm the uh, case subject for the, <laughs> for that. I think. Yep, I think I've had it for sure. At least like confirmed at least two times and possibly three times. So <laughs> so far I've survived, and I haven't. I think thankfully it was only the first time that my taste was affected. Ever since then, it's been just fine, and uh, I was just talking to somebody the other day they were saying uh it's actually willis you know willis i believe mm-hmm. yeah he was saying that he got covid and all of a sudden he could start eating spicier food or more seasoned food <laughs> um, than he could before but then our um our other friend james shank he told me that he got covid and all of a sudden like everything just tasted amazing it was just in- intense <laughs> flavor and he just really got into his food like he'd never done before. So I'd never heard that particular thing happening uh, with COVID. It's kind of strange, but there needs to be, there needs to be some science done on this. Like it feels like that could be marketed. (laughs) Would you like to be able to eat spicy foods? Take this injection. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, there's also the thing of like, it could be used as a, um, as a way to help people lose weight. So you could you could make them to where they don't taste anything, and so then there's not any like food doesn't taste good, and so you have no desire to eat, and so you uh, lose weight. <laughs> it interrupts that uh, uh, that cycle of um, reward mm-hmm. that you get, or what is the uh, the hormone that you makes you feel happy when you eat um, McDonald's French fries? <laughs> dopamine, probably. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, speaking of sciencey stuff, the last two times that we recorded. You were playing hooky on our <laughs> on our science part of the podcast, so I'm not letting you get away with that this time. Okay. Is there anything exciting happening in the science world? Yeah, well, not in the science world per se. I guess it kind of depends on what you mean by science, but... <laughs> <laughs> science is anything that's outside of, like, language and grammar, I think. <laughs> okay. Well, there's there's science, which is investigating the natural world, and then there is technology, which is the application of the findings of science. And this is more of a technology thing, I would say. There you go. But I would say that it's uh, the core reason that we, meaning humankind, is are doing these things is to learn more about the world. I would say you're not part of you're not part of the program oh. that's uh, <laughs> putting this uh, this thing out into the world. No, I'm not. No, it's. Uh, I'm sometimes self-conscious when I use the term we when I'm actually not involved in it. I'm just an interested onlooker. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I've had some 
had some uh, relatives that were really into football, and they would talk about our team, mm-hmm. and I would I would just kind of roll my eyes a little bit. How many goals anyway. we made? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, what's happening next week? At least it's the plan. Uh, August 29th, they're planning to launch uh, the Artemis One mission. Which Sean, you are you know all about. Uh, you do reading and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know where like you know who artemis is well she was a huntress right mm-hmm. i forget artemis would she have been greek or roman i couldn't say i'm going to guess mm-hmm. roman but i'm not sure about that mm-hmm. yeah a goddess yeah a goddess of the moon i believe uh-huh. um and of course the last time man went to the moon was the apollo missions and that had i'm trying to think who apollo was somehow in the in the uh, the panoply of the Greek gods, mm-hmm. there's some relationship between Artemis and Apollo. I'm not quite sure. But yeah, I think part of the goals of the Artemis missions, not this particular one, there's actually nobody on this one, is to eventually send the first woman to the moon. So maybe that's why they picked Artemis okay. instead, of a, instead of a male god. Okay. So the, the mission itself, to me, is, is interesting. But to me, what's even more interesting is the, the launch vehicle, <laughs> which I might get a little bit into that. So it is going to be launching, Lord willing, August 29th. I'm guessing it'll probably get pushed off to later. Just these things happen. And this rocket has been especially bad with delays. Now, who's doing this? Is this a NASA program? Yes, okay. this is NASA. It's The rocket was built by Boeing mm-hmm. with some parts made by some other people, but it was kind of assembled by Boeing, if I understand correctly. Okay. But it's it's a NASA project. It's not run by SpaceX or Blue Origin or okay, that was, United yeah, Launch Alliance. I was curious or, about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's going to be launching, and they're going to be launching the Orion spacecraft, which is uh, kind of looks a little bit like the Apollo spacecraft that went around the moon. So it just has a little capsule on top with a service module that has the fuel and I don't know if it has oxygen and stuff. I'm guessing it probably does on this mission, even though there's no people, um, just to test it out. And then it has solar panels to provide electricity. So that's going to go into orbit around the moon, and it's going to be there for, I'm thinking it's going to be there for close to a month. Okay. Just just orbiting the moon. They'll be checking out communication and life support systems and electrical systems and all the stuff that you need to figure out before you send people on it. And then they'll bring it back, and it's going to come hurtling into the atmosphere at, I think, 32,000 kilometers per second. Oh, wow. So let me see here. Do a quick calculation. Uh, so that is about 20,000 miles an hour, <laughs> approximately. And then it's going to slam into the atmosphere, and, of course, it has to use its heat shield to slow down and get rid of all that heat. And so they'll also be testing out the heat shield and so forth. It's never This heat shield has never been tested from actual reentry from the moon, so that's part of the testing, testing thing that they're doing. Um, Sean, I don't know, like, what questions do you have about Artemis? I've kind of been rambling on for a bit. Well, are they are they planning to are they planning to drop this into the ocean like they did the older ones? Are they planning to mm-hmm. reuse this one? Are they wanting to land somewhere? I think the capsule's going to be dropping into the ocean, mm-hmm. from what I understand. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be reusing the capsule or not. I mean, it's just one part of the spacecraft, but it is a very complex part of the spacecraft. Probably almost the most complex because it's where all the people are going to be in. Yeah. So, I'm, yeah, I, I for some reason I'm thinking they will actually reuse uh, a large part of the Orion capsule mm-hmm. uh, on future missions, but I'm not positive about that. 
So it's been how long since someone uh, was on a moon mission? The last, so Apollo 17 was the last moon mission, and that was in 1972. Okay. So it's been 50 years, Yeah, um, <laughs> which is hard to believe. Why the long wait and what is... What's making them wanting to do it again? Do they have a particular goal or is it less expensive now and they're able to, to afford it or what's the... So back in the 70s, I think they had maybe through Apollo 20, they had the, the hardware, they had everything planned out what they wanted to do, but Congress, it, it was quite astonishing. So the first, the first manned moon landing, uh, I mean, it was being watched by... I'm not sure how many people, um, like hundreds of millions of people back in 1969. And it wasn't that long, and people were kind of getting bored and weren't really paying attention to it. Okay. And it was costing it was costing a pretty substantial amount of money back in those days. I can't remember what it was per launch, but it was quite expensive. So Congress pulled the funding for it and dropped the last three missions. And at that point, we, we kind of pivoted from these these huge missions to the moon and started working more on uh, that. That's when they started developing the space shuttle um, was in the seventies and that didn't launch until 1981 then. Uh, okay. But that was kind of the focus was the space shuttle and then using the space shuttle to build the international space station. That was where all the money was going mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they really didn't have any extra money left to do it. So I think the main reason that we haven't, going back to the moon since 1972 isn't because we technologically can't. I would say the rockets we have today are in a lot of ways better than they were back then. It's largely because we just don't have the political will and the money Mm -hmm. uh, being poured into that particular. It's been since the 90s, um, different administrations have said, we're going back to the moon and we're going to do this and that. And they put together this big plan of how they're going to do it. But then they pitch to Congress, and it's like, yeah, this is going to cost $200 billion. Yeah. <laughs> and Congress says, oh, we're not interested. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and so the focus has been on, you know, the majority of money has been thrown into the ISS program, both building it in the, in the 2000s and then maintaining it and uh, buying launches from the Russians for a while until we got our own rockets. Now I said ours. You notice I said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Congress is essentially feeling like, meh, I can see the moon from here and <laughs> there's not really any reason for us to go back. And so that's why we haven't yeah. seen a, a moon mission. I think that's a large part of it. Very good. Anything fancy or exciting about the Artemis? Um, is it, What is it called? Is it called a, a rocket? Usually it's called a launch vehicle, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the technical term. But yeah, it's basically a rocket. Same thing. It's not actually called Artemis 1. Artemis 1 is the name of the mission. Oh, The oh, name okay. of the rocket is the Space Launch System, or SLS. So with the Apollo missions, that was the name of the mission, Apollo 1, Apollo 10, Apollo 11. Gotcha, gotcha. But the launch vehicle was called the Saturn V. Mm-hmm. So this is this is SLS, or Space Launch System, which is has to be the most uninspired name I've ever heard. Right. <laughs> it's okay. It's like we want to launch something into space. And we'll call it a space launch. There we go. Space launch system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Well, they're trying to save money so that Congress allows them to do this thing. So, uh, yeah, saving money. Okay. Yeah, whatever. 
Um, <laughs> no, the SLS is your typical government program where congressmen are, I guess, maybe doing their doing their duty and trying to get government money going into their different communities, and so they there's all these different space contractors littered across the United States. And all of their congressmen are trying to get them contracts and keep the program going, even though it's very expensive. So I think I saw somewhere that currently on the SLS program, they've spent, I think, $20 billion, Ouch. something like that, um, just developing it and getting it to this point. And they're estimating that the cost of launching it will be about $4 billion per launch, wow. uh, which is way above. They were So they tried to... To keep costs down by reuse, basically reusing parts from the shuttle program. So they're using engines. Uh, this particular launch, they're using engines that actually went up into space on a space shuttle. They're using a derivative version of the solid rocket boosters that the space shuttle used. They just stretched them a little bit, made them a little bit longer, a little bit more powerful. And then the main uh, fuel tank is, it's not a, its not the same as the fuel tank on the space shuttle, but it's basically the same diameter. Um, they use some of the same machinery and so forth to build it, I believe. Um, uses the same fuel. So it, it actually looks, like if you look at it, it looks almost like the space shuttle um, where you have the two, two solid rocket boosters on the side, this big orange fuel tank in the middle, and then... But but here you have the capsule up on top instead of having the the space shuttle orbiter being strapped to the side. Oh, uh, okay. All right, exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess we will maybe sometime in the not distant future hear about uh, whether this was a success or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy, if this thing, I mean, they've tested it to the nth degree, which is part of the reason why it costs so much. So I'm hoping like the James Webb Space Telescope, it'll be a flawless mission and everything will go great. If it doesn't, um, there's probably going to be some people will be asked why it didn't work like it was supposed to. Right. Maybe <laughs> some people lose their jobs. We'll see. Okay. Well, to the listeners, if you want to hear something other than the James Webb Space Telescope <laughs> and uh, the Artemis mission, you should send us some questions that you have for for the science section. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. um, why does this caterpillar do that thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that'll push James up, maybe out of his, uh, out of his uh, space groove. Yeah, I, I've been thinking that I need to to kind of break out of it a little bit. So, however, I did have one of my nephews said, "Hey, Uncle James, I was listening to the podcast the other day, and I really like the space stuff." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that from a few of our listeners that. Uh, that maybe this is the most exciting part of the podcast, and <laughs> I guess I'm I'm sorry about that. Maybe when I start talking, it gets boring. So <clears throat> let's get into the boring part now, James. What are we yeah. talking about today? So this was way back, not long after we started the podcast. I had a listener contact me and say this would be a topic that you should talk about. You should talk about how do you raise grateful children? Children that you know we we live in a world that even 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 back at our our parents, you know from from our parents' time to now, there's been a huge change in the wealth in our circles. Things have largely gotten a lot more, uh, a lot cheaper. There's now more the expectation that if you want something, you just go ahead and get it. Mm-hmm. Our society at large has become much more entitled, but it's also something it's easy for our children to fall into as well. Uh, this listener was wondering if we could talk about raising grateful children. 
shortly after we were talking about maybe doing this episode, I realized that on our uh, dresser, my wife had bought a book. Well, I'm not sure if she did, if she bought it or I did. I can't remember. Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World by Kristen Welch. Yeah. Uh, which I hadn't even thought about it, but I mean, it almost perfectly dovetails with this exact topic. So I think both of us have read this book and we can maybe pull in a few things from the book and uh, see what it has to say for us. So basically, that friend of yours was saying, how can we raise grateful children without ordering another Great Depression that we have to put our children through? <laughs> That's right. I mean, so for instance, another thing we've talked about is we live in the information age where the internet is is all around us. We use it every day, and short of turning Amish or something like that, and just totally not using it. Yeah. Which if we didn't use the internet, we couldn't do this podcast. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we'd have to stop the podcast as well. Short of that option, and there are some people that take that option, and that is perfectly fine in some ways, I'd say very admirable. Mm -hmm. They're not listening to this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, I don't have to butter them up. However, um, so I say that, but however, this episode has went out on, um, on audio tape one time. So there is actually one copy of an episode floating around on an audio tape. So <laughs> like like a like a, an actual cassette tape? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What? Wow. <laughs> I, <laughs> I did not know this. Yeah, there was somebody who uh, I was discussing something with somebody else, and they said, "Oh, yeah, I really like your podcast, and I enjoy listening to it." And there was there was uh, there was a relative of mine was standing nearby, and he said, "Well, you know, I would like to listen to it. It sounds interesting, but um, you know, he doesn't have a smartphone. He doesn't really use the internet." Um, he says the only thing he has in his car is a cassette player because his car is decently old and kind of on a whim. I said, well, I'll get you a cassette tape of our podcast. <laughs> wow. So I I think I did the one on tithing, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Uh, I tried to pick a pick an episode. So, yeah, uh, there is actually a cassette tape <laughs> copy of the podcast. That's funny. I, I now yeah. want the podcast to go out on a vinyl record for someone. <laughs> <laughs> Would not be worth it. Yeah, it wouldn't. So because the Internet's all around us, we have to decide, we have to figure out how to deal with it. If we're going to use it, we have to figure out how to deal with it in a biblical way, apply biblical principles to it. So with this topic as well, we are living in a very affluent a society that tends to be entitled. So how do we raise our children in this in this society without allowing those pressures to kind of come in and, and change them and make them ungrateful. And I think it's a very relevant topic to both of us because we're both fathers with young children. Our children, so anybody who hasn't uh, raised children, just letting you know, children basically have uh, a very uh, carnal, sinful nature pretty much from the beginning. Right. <laughs> it's it's quite evident that they're that they're like that. I mean, they certainly have their precious moments, but it's something that you have to work on changing. You have to change, you know, you have to get rid of that sinful nature or, or work with it as much as you can and point them towards something better. It's the same way with being grateful. I mean, we, we work on our children all the time to where they, you know, we want them to, to say thank you if somebody gives them something or thank you for, for making supper, just manners and things like that. And it's, you know, some of it is likely just, kind of going through the motions, but it's 
it's uh, hopefully instilling something that will become genuine thankfulness down the road. Right. Yeah, that's how I would see it too. Is kind of like we're trying to to build up a system uh, of habits or responses in our children, knowing that, like you said, they have this nature that isn't uh, grateful but is more selfish, and we're trying to develop in them a system, an awareness of others, habits that make them think about others and give proper responses mm-hmm. with the hope or plan that when they become a little bit older and uh, are adults and decide to follow follow God, the system will be there to then kind of, how would you say, come alongside their spiritual development then too. Mm-hmm. Before we figure out kind of what the solution is, you know, how can we raise grateful children in an entitled world? I had to think a little bit about, you know, what is the problem we're facing? Not only what is ingratitude, I mean, I think ingratitude, uh, you know, what it is is pretty simple, I would say. Um, Sean, I don't know if you want to, what would you say is ingratitude, if you would give a definition for it? I think it has to do a lot with um, where you're putting where you're putting yourself maybe mm-hmm. in the picture. And I don't know, maybe I'm making this too complicated, but when when my whole system of life is um, revolving around me, then I tend to be more ungrateful. And when mm-hmm. I instead am revolving around others, have a an others-centered focus, then I tend to be mm-hmm. more more grateful and more more giving, but mm-hmm. maybe that's a bit too philosophical. <laughs> no, I think that's I think that's good. Ingratitude is also not val. It's it's a values thing. So I'm stumbling here a little bit because there's so much that that ties into this. But how to make it just mm-hmm. in, into a nutshell? I'm not sure. But if I value what I have in in life then what I don't have doesn't really figure into into that. And I suppose that's where that's what steals our sense of gratefulness is thinking about what we don't have. Yeah. Well, I mean ingratitude just simply is lack of gratitude. Well what is gratitude? Yeah. <laughs> you can kind of follow this thread for a while probably. But I was thinking about what are the root causes. You've already focused on one of those and that is focus on myself. So selfishness. Yeah. Kind of putting myself at the center of the world and everything must revolve around me. Just thinking about how that relates to to raising children. I mean, children are are a blessing, and we need to devote a decent amount of our time and effort to to nurturing them and disciplining them. And I mean that that's our main job, really, as parents is to is to work with our children. But we don't want that to turn into a thing where the child feels like the entire world revolves around them. And I think that's easy to let happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we can maybe talk about how to keep that from happening uh, later. But then the next one that I was thinking about is the whole thing of entitlement. Back to the title of the book, Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World. You know, What is entitlement? I would define it as a feeling of, I deserve something. Mm-hmm. I deserve this. I'm not sure where I read this, where I heard about it, but this is a, this is an extreme an extreme version of entitlement, but I read a story about this this young mom, I think, she might have been a single mom, and she was buying groceries, and for some reason, I don't know if she forgot her wallet or 
what happened exactly, but she could not pay for her groceries. She was standing there in line. People were behind her waiting, and she's really flustered, and she doesn't have what she needs to pay for her groceries. I think maybe she had a had a food stamp card or something that didn't have enough money maybe to help out with that. So she was she was really getting stressed out about this. And then there was there was an older person behind her that said, hey, I'll pay for your groceries. Just out of the kindness of their heart, I'll pay for your groceries. And so paid for this woman's groceries. And she was extremely grateful and just was thanking thanking this person. I think it was maybe an older man was thanking this man just just uh, just couldn't believe how kind this was. So she was very grateful, was was thanking this man for what he had done. But then there was a woman that was behind this man in line, and she wanted her groceries paid for as well. Oh, no. <laughs> she felt like that if if this one person was, was paying for the first person's groceries, well, he should be fair and pay for her groceries too. Oh, dear. And, of course, he said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I can't pay for everybody's groceries. Um, I already was very kind to this one woman, and she just... Uh, the woman that that wanted her groceries paid for just completely exploded and was hurling obscenities and like, how dare you not pay for my groceries? No. Yeah. I just like we just kind of roll our eyes. I mean, not roll our eyes, shake our heads and sigh at <laughs> something this extreme. Of course, this is extreme, but this is basically the personification of entitlement that I deserve this. Uh, it's not fair if I don't get this, something like that. So. Yeah, the the word entitlement doesn't have a direct translation in Spanish, unless I'm mistaken. And it's translated something like tener derecho or something like that, which would be uh, to have to have rights, like it is my right. And so mm-hmm. entitlement, we may not use uh, that word on a daily basis, but it's just saying this is my right, and and if I don't get it, uh, you. Or it's something that you owe me, or society owes me, and mm-hmm. and I absolutely must and and can demand it. Yeah, and I think we can see this in our children. In you know, my my boys really love drinking chocolate milk, and <laughs> we give them chocolate milk every now and then. And before you know it, um, well, now I need chocolate milk whenever I want chocolate milk. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a little bit of an entitlement attitude give me chocolate milk because I had it before and I should have it now too. I don't want the the yucky plain milk. So that's kind of an entitlement attitude. Then another thing I was thinking about the root causes of ingratitude is focusing on negatives instead of positives. Mm-hmm. And this is probably something like, I don't feel like I'm a super entitled person, although I certainly maybe struggle with it a little bit, but I definitely feel like this one is one that I struggle with myself. Instead of thinking about, and being grateful for the things that I do have, to focus on the things that I don't have, um, the things that I wish I had, that makes me, that focus on the things that I don't have makes me less grateful for the things that I do. It, it, it shifts our focus. One uh, aspect of this would be like, all I have is milk. I don't have chocolate milk. And so <laughs> yeah. I can't enjoy the milk that I have. But is it also, in, in what you're saying about yourself, is it also a bit of FOMO? I'm afraid of what I'm missing either in in this piece of technology that I don't have or this place that mm-hmm. I won't be able to go trip. I won't be able to take my mountain. I won't be able to climb or what is it? What is mm-hmm. it ex- exactly for you? Yeah, I would say it's it's some of that fear of missing out. But I think a lot of it is simply 
not being grateful for the things that I have because I'm focusing on the things that I don't. Yeah, yeah. And the next one is somewhat related to this. It's almost the other side of the coin, and that is comparing ourselves to others. So looking, you know, I go to somebody else's house, and, well, their kitchen is way nicer than ours, and they have central air. (laughs) They don't have to chop wood to, to heat their house. They have air conditioning. They don't have to to deal with a loud, leaky air conditioner stuck in their window. Uh, <laughs> their yard is much nicer than mine. Their garden is better than mine. You know, we struggled with our garden this year and had some disappointments. And so I go to other people's gardens and they're just lush and <laughs> uh, very much bearing fruit. And I can get a little bit envious and, and not be very grateful for the many things we did get of our uh, we did get out of our garden and the fact that. Um, our house doesn't have central air, but it's extremely cheap to live in, and it uh, is very solid. We haven't been dealing with a lot of major issues with our house, and it's it's warm in the winter, and it's cool in the summer for the most part. <laughs> yeah, that makes me think a little bit about the term first world problems, mm-hmm. and we don't, we're not living in a first world country. We're in Peru, and so we always, we always chuckle at some of the <laughs> some of the <laughs> prayer requests we hear sometimes from our friends like uh, there was one that just came up last week i think it was from a church in the states that that we we heard about where they were saying send out a prayer request to their church group to please pray that the air conditioner would be working in the cafeteria for the afternoon <laughs> and we we just shook our heads a bit to think you know that that just would not be something that we would ever pray about. So maybe one of mm-hmm. the ways that you can uh, work on a sense of gratitude is to move to Peru. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that would probably help for sure. Yeah, I've oftentimes kind of wondered about what it feels like to be down there hearing, you know, sometimes I share some of the some of the difficulties and things that I'm going through and they feel very real and very serious to me, but then I hear some of the things that you're dealing with and well, my things pale in comparison to what you're dealing with, and so <laughs> this I kind, is of, kind feel, of a different set of things, I suppose. Yeah, I kind of sometimes think that Sean and Stephanie down in Peru just kind of are hearing what James has to say and what other people have to say, and they're like, "Ah, man, y'all just don't, y'all just don't get it." <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the biggest thing in your life is still the biggest thing in your life, I suppose. Mm-hmm. One thing that we do have here, which plays into gratitude is I think we're more aware of how much we need other people to Mm -hmm. get things done. That plays into a a focus on, on self or like who is revolving around whom. But when, when you're in a more affluent setting, you tend to think I could take care of myself. If I want that thing, I'll just buy it. I don't really, there's not the sense of dependency on other people. Mm Mm-hmm. It's more that I can go in and into uh, Starbucks and demand that my service needs to be exactly this way. And if not, I need to see your manager. Mm-hmm. You probably, you know, this concept of, of Karen's that's a mm-hmm. kind of a thing yeah. in North American culture. Mm-hmm. That is not something that you find really in, in Latin American culture. And I think it's because people, people here don't, have that sense of entitlement. They just don't expect that other people are going to do everything for them. Mm-hmm. As a general rule, there is selfishness yeah. everywhere you go in the world. But as far as it pervading the whole culture, no, I don't think so. 
Yeah, that kind of gets to the to another thing that I had written down here in the show notes is is lack of awareness of our need of others. And this this one isn't quite as directly related to ingratitude, but I feel it's definitely related for sure to to that feeling of of being ungrateful is yeah, it's, I mean you, you did a really good job of explaining it there, so I think I'll probably leave it at that instead of trying to add one other aspect that I wondered if fits in here or not is the sense of being a victim. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how how that fits in, but I think that I I've noticed that in in people before where if if something bad happened in my past, then I have a sense of entitlement that other people have to take care of me or or take up the slack where if I'm <laughs> I'm not sure damaged in some way uh, maybe I'm afraid of doing this thing because of something in my past and I just expect someone else is going to have to do it for me. Mm-hmm. And in in a more either affluent setting or a setting where you have lots of people uh, in your, let's say, support network, you can maybe make that happen. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a setting where you really have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, maybe there's not someone there's not that network of people who are just have lots of extra time to do stuff for you, mm-hmm. then there's not a, a lot of opportunity to, I'm saying this in air quotes, play the victim mm-hmm. because everyone else is busy surviving their own lives. If that makes sense. Yeah. We went through the root causes of ingratitude and I'm sure there's maybe some others that we missed. Um, if you have any thoughts, go ahead and send us an email with your opinions then kind of getting to a little bit more of the core of of this topic, how do we raise our children to be more grateful? So, Sean, I'll kind of throw it out to you. We, we talked about what what causes ingratitude. Now, what can we do to, to help our children be more grateful? Well, one of the easy things to do is to say, you're not happy right now be, with with chocolate milk, and so we're going to restrict your chocolate milk intake until you're grateful for milk. And if you're not grateful for milk, we're going to restrict that to skim milk or we're going to just give you water. <laughs> and once you're happy, then we're going to start reintroducing these things. And and I think that can work to a degree. We have to be careful with that, that we're not teaching them a way of acting uh, thankful on the outside so that I get what I feel I'm entitled to on the inside. Mm, yeah. So that can be a little bit tricky. What I have found in my own life is that it's easy to say, you, my child, need to be grateful for regular milk when we don't have chocolate milk. But when my wife serves me oatmeal for the umpteenth time for breakfast and I wrinkle mm-hmm. my nose, then um, what what happens is my children are learning by my response what I can't Oh, they're like there are levels of of gratefulness that I'm allowed to have in my life where mm-hmm. because more is more is caught than taught they say yeah and I think it's very true so if I want my child to be grateful I have to first be grateful mm-hmm. myself yeah when I was even before I was I started reading this book I was thinking about it myself and that was the first thing that I thought of as well is that we can't the best way to to have grateful children i feel is to to model gratefulness ourselves there can be many different ways to do that whether it's like you said not wrinkling up our nose at oatmeal for the umpteenth time 
for breakfast. But there's other things as well. If if we constantly have, if our children are hearing us complain about, oh man, I wish I had a new phone, or I wish I, I wish our house wasn't so dumpy and junky, and wish we had a nicer house. If we are constantly complaining about what we have and not being grateful, you'd better believe that children will pick that up from us and and start showing the same attitude toward their milk and their toys. You know, their toy that is they've had for two years and is. A little bit broken. Well, why can't we get a new one? That sort of thing. So, I think that's probably the main thing we can do. Another thing I thought about is, it seems like the more, you know, we we love our children, we value our children, we want them to be happy, and so sometimes that manifests itself in giving them things. We want to give them this, give them that. If I ask for this thing, well, we want them to be happy. We want them to have what they need, and so we give it to them then they start expecting. In a sense, this kind of goes back to the entitled. Well, they've learned from us that we'll give them what they want. And so now they feel like they're entitled to getting whatever they want. And that also tends to have a side effect of not being as grateful for the things they already have, because they're always looking for, instead of learning to be satisfied with what they have, they want this new toy that they saw in this catalog. And the old toy that they have is useless not needed anymore i think there we can teach explicitly the difference between needs wants and what would we say excess maybe Mm -hmm. it's so easy for us to think i need this thing Mm -hmm. and to have that conversation you can have it even with fairly small children to where they can understand uh, you don't need this you can actually live without it Therefore, it is it is a want or maybe even goes into the idea of excess. And so you can you can show them that this is not something that you you are entitled to. This Mm -hmm. is something beyond what you're entitled to. And maybe even the idea of of what we need, we need bread and water uh, and clothes to to survive and maybe not a whole lot beyond that. And and so do I need macaroni and cheese? No, <laughs> I mean that that in a sense is going into into a desire or into a want or in, or even an excess. When I could get by with rice and beans, for example, mm-hmm. and so trying to help our children have this picture of of what is the basic necessity of life mm-hmm. and everything that's beyond that, I can be grateful for. I think about the scripture says to be grateful. In all things, in one place, or at least in one place, in another place it says be grateful for all things. Another says to give give thanks in every situation. Mm-hmm. Coming back for in our training to trying to have what is the proper focus, uh, focus on, on God. James says every good thing comes from God. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be grateful for that. And in that same chapter, James chapter 1, he starts out by saying, be thankful for essentially all the bad things that happen in life. Be thankful for every trial, every temptation, every every test that comes into your life. Because you might be able to summarize that section by saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger <laughs> in, in a spiritual or mental sense. And mm-hmm. then being grateful that God can use all of those things to bring about some good in your life. One thing that you're talking about making our children okay with 
with, yeah, like realizing the difference between needs and wants. And something that was in the book that stuck out to me was every Monday they had rice and beans for supper. Oh, yes. And mm-hmm. the children didn't particularly like that, but I think it kind of became part of their kind of part of the fabric of their families. This is what we have. And part of the reason was for them to realize that they don't need they don't need a bunch of meat and cheese and fancy stuff to to have a good solid meal. That's all they really need. And so then they're they're more thankful for when they do have those those nicer meals. Um I was actually thinking that might not be a terrible idea to to implement in our family as well for not I mean it would not only maybe help the gratefulness but would also help the pocketbook a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think in their family they they had some tie in with a country in Africa, I forget which one, where they were helping with some mm-hmm. uh, mission or orphanage or something, and maybe even visited there uh, a few times with their with their growing children. And so that rice and beans supper was a way to to help think about their the mission that they were supporting uh, in that African country, mm-hmm. and maybe even some of the context they had there, and realizing this is all that our our friends there have. One question mark that came to me while I was reading through that section was, was that doing what they wanted to actually happen? Because I I almost get the impression that their children were not thankful for the food that they Mm -hmm. had. They were not thankful for the rice and beans. They were thankful that I don't live in Kenya and that tomorrow I get to have pizza. Okay. And, And so and and so i was wondering and i couldn't ask the author cuz you know i didn't have the opportunity but what do you think did they get the results they wanted or were they just saying hmm. i'm so glad i'm not in in that country and that rice and beans is only monday yeah. and the other the other 6 days of the week i get to be my entitled self yeah that's a good point i didn't think about that yeah i can't remember it's been a little while since i've read that particular part and so i can't remember exactly what what their children were thinking. But yeah, I could see that could be an unintended consequence where, yeah, they're just grateful. They're just grateful that they don't have to do that. I've heard of something similar before that sometimes churches put on or youth groups where they kind of, you kind of break up the group by, I guess you pull slips out of a hat or something and you break up the group by the percentage of people that can afford certain types of food. So some people can just have rice and beans. Some people can have rice and beans and a little bit of meat. And there might be, I don't know if there's a, then there's there's like your full American meal. And then there's also the one, there might be a a fourth one in between the the second and the third one there. I can't remember. And um, I mean, I appreciate what they're going for with that. But I've also sometimes kind of wondered if there again, if it's really, if it's really having the desired effect. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I guess it's making it more aware of, of what we have and what other people don't have. But there again. Is that really the best way to do that? I'm not sure. It's the same thing that a lot of a lot of moms have done where you, you need to eat your broccoli because there is a child in in China that's starving or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, pick pick your country. And I, I get what I get what the parent is trying to do. It's be grateful for what you have because it could be taken away. But I'm afraid that sometimes we are almost teaching our children pride and entitlement mm-hmm. where I, what I'm thankful for is that I'm in um, a more affluent society and I don't have to uh, suffer like those lesser people. 
And so we need to just be careful with that, how we how we handle it. Maybe even some of the words we we say may be revealing something about my heart as a dad that uh, I might not be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I shared a message here in church on gratitude, and it was really powerful for me to realize how easy it is to overlook that gratitude is a command of God. So it's non-optional. And there are even some of these lists, like I think there is one in the book of Revelation, if I remember correctly, where it says these sorts of people will be kept out of the kingdom of heaven and will be thrown into into punishment, into judgment. And it's people like murderers and and immoral people and so on. But in that list, it lists ungrateful people will also be cast out of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that is really uh, startling or should be sobering for us to realize if I am entitled, if I am ungrateful, that this becomes an offense against God. And some of the things that tie into that sense of ungratefulness are pride. Pride kills gratitude. Selfishness, we've already talked about, kills gratitude. Complaining is another sin listed in the Bible and is the opposite of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Demanding our rights, of course, and entitlement. So these are things that we need to realize are, are not just like good virtues that we want to have in our children, but are actually uh, demands of, of mm-hmm. God of, of who we need to be, not things that we need to do, but who we actually need to be on the inside. Yeah, so this is, when I was thinking about this topic of gratefulness, my mind went to a fairly common verse in First Timothy. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment, I would say, you can't be content unless you're grateful. I'm not sure that they're not quite the same word there, but it's very, I would say, with contentment comes gratefulness as well. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the next couple of verses, there's there's some really good things here. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these things, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So that's mm-hmm. uh, kind of starts off saying, well, you should be content, but then it keeps going and, and shows that if you're not content and you're desiring to have more than what you need, it says in having food and clothing with these things, we should be content. Right. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and it, it gives some some very uh, strong caution there about desiring more than what we have, and that desire is driven by ungratefulness, I would say. So what are some things that we should not be doing with our children that we're, where we might accidentally be teaching them to be ungrateful by doing these things? I think we need to be careful about getting things for our children, not that we shouldn't get things for them, but... We need to be sure that we don't give them too many things or things that they want. Not that we can't give them things that they want, but we should be very careful. You know, if if we're going down through the grocery store and Jimmy wants a couple bags of candy, well, we probably shouldn't get that for him. We can occasionally give him candy as a treat, but not as part of his standard diet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and thinking about 
right away a passage from or a section from one of the books in the Laura Laura Ingalls series jumps to mind where if I remember correctly they got candy at Christmas time and maybe another time of the year or something mm-hmm. and there was at least one Christmas where they weren't able to have candy that year and how disappointing that was for them mm-hmm. <laughs> our children are not looking forward to that one day of the year where they get candy <laughs> a lot of times so we it really we're stealing we're stealing their joy mm-hmm. when we give them things too often because yeah. then they have nothing to look forward to and they don't even enjoy the things that they have i know it's easy for parents especially with young children to buy compliance from their children for something maybe you know if you if you do x then you will get you will get a piece of gum and have a chart system where you know your children are getting candy every day or every week by being obedient mm-hmm. and that sounds good you have obedient children you have compliant children you have a happy home but pull the candy out and what happens mm-hmm. i think it's good to maybe have little rewards for a job well done but i think you need to be careful about dangling that reward in front of the child saying if you do this you can get this which i mean i've done that myself so for instance we were trying to clean up um we were cutting down old corn stalks in the garden and they're they're pretty big and unwieldy and jimmy is only four i told him i said if you can go ahead and put all the corn stalks in the uh the wheelbarrow we can have um uh we can have a, a soda Anyway, he he worked very hard and did it, and we had our soda together, and it was a it was a good time. But I don't always. I think part of it comes down to: Are you consistently having to bribe your children right <laughs> to to do it? I mean, it's you know, it, it, if it's above and beyond the normal, um, it's okay to maybe have a reward, or even better, um, have them work really hard, and they don't know that there's going to be a reward at the end. Um, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing, and so they're they're motivated by whether it's desire to desire to please you or desire to avoid uh, punishment. Right. Um, I'm not sure what or does you know. And you have to set them up for reality later. Like, mm-hmm. do you you don't get a job or you don't you don't get a reward at the end of every day necessarily for doing a good job at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get you get paid. You get a, a paycheck. Um, for a lot of the work that you do, although you don't get a paycheck for cleaning up the corn stalks, I suppose. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think we have to be careful that we're not uh, with that buying, or we may be exchanging um, exchanging those rewards for laziness or complacency. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our family is a little bit older than than yours, and we've gone through cycles of that where. If your children uh, say they come home from from school and they just want to, they would, you know, just prefer to sit or to, or to read a book or to be outside playing. And this is a sense of entitlement here too. Like, is a child entitled to to play? Mm-hmm. Well, I think playing is part of a child's life. But when you have when the whole family needs to be involved in keeping things moving forward, so that you know, the the home is taken care of or chores are taken care of or whatever. You can't always be having the child motivated by that that carrot or stick 
mm-hmm. in order to get things done, but develop in them a sense of, I am grateful that I have uh, a home. I'm grateful that I have a family and I'm grateful that I have a capable body that can work. And so my response in gratefulness is to then contribute to to the family by mm-hmm. without being told seeing this thing needs to be done and I go and do it because I'm grateful for where I find myself in this in this setting. Yeah. No, I think that's definitely good. Now kind of moving on here to what are some practical ways we can we can help our children be grateful. Sean, do you have a few on the tip of your tongue that you could share? Well coming back to being grateful myself is we as parents need to be careful. Again, I have um, a little bit older children than you do, but children can be so helpful for me. And it's easy for me to to say, hey, son, will you go get me a cup of coffee? Will you bring me this thing from the office? Mm-hmm. Uh, can you bring me a screwdriver? And without thinking, I'm teaching them that the <laughs> the goal of being an adult is to <laughs> to have lots of little people serving you and bringing you stuff and doing things for you where I should one be willing to to get up off my seat and go get the thing myself two if I do want help from them I need to make sure that I'm phrasing it in uh, would you please would you mind do you have time and also be willing that if my child says, well, I'm actually doing my English lesson, then I can say, oh, that's that's no problem. Do your homework. I'll go I'll go out to the barn and get the thing that I need myself. Mm-hmm. So please and thank you. And also being willing myself to show that that I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not lazy. I can I can get my own things or mm-hmm. or that sort of thing, too. Don't always expect them to serve me. Be willing to serve them. Yeah. What about you? You have some ideas? Yeah. Kind of back to the thing about not uh, about giving giving children things. Um, that's something I've thought a little bit about. I mean, we're coming through the summer, and it's actually our son Jeremy's birthday here in just a couple of days, and so we did did buy him a gift. Um, nothing too expensive, but we did get him a little bit of something. And that's something I've thought a little bit about is gift giving. I mean, that's part of part of the culture around us. And I think it's, it's also become part of a lot of family cultures is this thing of giving gifts and sometimes giving a lot of gifts or pretty extravagant gifts sometimes. And I haven't quite figured out exactly what's the best thing to do there. I do know that we probably give more gifts than we should. I think, of course, you've all heard it's more blessed to give than receive. And I think we need to emphasize that to our children. I think we need to model that ourselves that we're more excited about serving others and giving to others than we are about getting gifts ourselves. And I think that's something that we can really uh, teach our children if we're modeling it ourselves. There is this aspect of God who who we know is a good father. And one characteristic that he has is that he loves to give good gifts to his children. So I think it's an okay thing for parents to have that same desire we want to give good things to our children Mm -hmm. but sometimes the good thing that we that we think we're giving you know whether you know we're we're buying them a tractor toy for their their birthday you have to look at the whole context if it's giving them entitlement then it's actually not a good thing 
And so all the things that God gives are good. Mm-hmm. So we need to be looking at what are the what are the effects of what we're giving them for sure. Mm-hmm. And I know that I know some families who give their child the opportunity on his birthday that 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 his gift is being able to give or serve others. Mm-hmm. So it would be, and I think it may work better. Um, when your children are a little bit more older, a little more self-aware, but saying we are going to give you an allowance of either X amount of dollars or X amount of time or some other resource that you get to then apply to someone you want to give a gift to or you want Mm -hmm. to bless in some way. And we haven't tried that as a family ourselves, but I know other families who have, and I could see that as being a, a good alternative the thing about being more focused on serving others than on getting things, that kind of goes back to the core. One of the root causes of ingratitude is this focus on ourselves. I think that would kind of help kind of target that root cause by by focusing more on others. One thing that was here on our show notes that I really liked is making giving less about things and more about relationships and serving others. Now, there's different ways you can you can give you can give you can give things you can go out and use some money and, and buy some things and then give them away or you can give money to people but you can also give your time either your time in listening to somebody who who needs a listening ear uh, mentoring working with others that that are dealing with difficulties in their lives or just going over to your neighbor and and you know, we have some elderly neighbors and maybe they need some help weeding their, their flower beds or something like that. That's going to be much more meaningful to them than giving them a plate of cookies at Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I would say probably. And that's that's normally what we do. We give a plate of cookies at Christmas. So I'm kind of indicting myself here. but and, and so that would be another way to think about it. And that would help our children realize that it's not all about things. It's not about money and gifts sometimes it's much better just to give our time it's also like i said it's much easier to give things it's much harder to make time and give time but that's what's most valued and so i think we should maybe try to focus more on that than than on just things and speaking about receiving gifts i think i got this idea from the book that you were talking about was developing this sense of of modest surprise Mm -hmm. for good things that you do receive and that takes some explicit conversation with your child maybe in the moment or even after the gift is received is trying to have this recognition that that wow um uh, uncle james or maybe you could say in in your case with your children uh, daddy did this thing for you and uh, i'm thinking from the mom's perspective because the the author was was a lady and she wrote from that perspective mm-hmm. saying this, this person did this thing for you and it, you didn't deserve it. They didn't have to do that thing for you. And, and trying to put those thoughts into mm-hmm. your child's mind and heart so that when they do receive something and it should be the same for me too, if my wife does something for me and um, there's this one older couple that I think about in re- regards to this, where after every meal, he just makes a big deal about that she made supper for him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're old. He's, they're very old now. They're both white haired, but he's, 
he still does this where he's hmm. it's just like you know dear thank you so much for supper and <laughs> and whatever maybe he picks out one thing that was that was really good uh, that he appreciated or whatever but he just always acts so surprised that she made supper for him again and she's been doing <laughs> it for more than 50 years now yeah but i think it's genuine gratefulness on his part mm-hmm. and he passed that along to his children and they are also grateful people mm-hmm Another thing we can do is be grateful, not just for the big things, the fancy things, but also be grateful for everything. Um, I mean, be grateful that we have electricity. (laughs) Right. You're very grateful for your water that you have now. And um, I think partially because of hearing your story, I'm grateful for my water uh, that I have here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... I think that we can, we can, you know, there again, we need to model this to our children of being grateful for some of the little things, you know, a good cup of coffee that maybe sounds a little bit like a platitude or, um, you know, what do you want to call it? But I think those are some things that we can be thankful for, thankful for the people in our lives and what they do for us, thankful for the weather. I appreciate rainy days just as much as sunny days. And yeah. And so I try to, you know, when, when I'm, uh, praying for a meal, uh, a lot of times I'll I'll kind of throw in different things that I've been thankful for that day and that I'm you know glad that God gave us just everyday things. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's that's something that I do. Yeah, and something that I'm grateful for that I think about a lot is clean clothes that are folded in my in my dresser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and um that's something that I periodically will will thank my wife for. She does she and and the older children take care of the laundry by and large. I help occasionally, mm-hmm. but the stuff just ends up in my in my closet or in my drawer, mm-hmm. and I know exactly where to go, and it's always there. Mm-hmm. And I am really grateful for that. That I I never have to think about are my socks going to be there tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I take off dirty clothes and throw them in the laundry hamper, and they magically uh, within a day or two show back up in my closet or in my drawer. <laughs> Exactly. Um, So, yeah, that's uh, I think I've actually mentioned that to my wife a couple of times. I could probably do a bit better about it, though. Okay, kind of wrapping this up a little bit. So we we didn't really say much from the book. We did mention that we both read it and were able to to glean a few thoughts from it as well. But uh, first of all, is there anything that we learned from the book that we um, that we really appreciated? I'm afraid that I learned that I'm more ungrateful than I, I realize I, mm-hmm. I am not like that, that older man who I look up to. I'm not the one who is just kind of over the top, bubbly, grateful for every meal or every little thing that my wife does for me or every little thing that my children do. I'm not as quick to, to, you know, give them a hug and say, thank you for thank you for bringing me this uh, cookie at snack time or whatever. It's snack time. I take the cookie and I might say thank you and move on with my life. Or maybe even I may forget to say thank you sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I feel after reading the book, I felt, I felt ashamed honestly <laughs> for the amount of gratitude that I have in myself. And I realized again, parents who have had children for any amount of time probably know this children are barometers of our own virtues and very much so of gratefulness. If I start sensing in my children a a general theme, a general response of mm-hmm. ingratitude, it's not their fault. 
if you want to say it that way, it's going to come back to dad or dad and mom. And I need to take that responsibility seriously. Mm -hmm. So I was really glad to read the book and it has Mm -hmm. definitely changed my focus recently. Yeah, I would say similar to you, I've definitely has kind of revived the idea that we we have a huge impact on our children's gratefulness, and it's kind of made me uh, kind of realize the the seriousness of of my example to them. Um, there's also lots of practical, just little things that you can do to help um, increase gratefulness in your children and gratefulness in yourself, really which I think those things very much go hand in hand. You're not going to have grateful children if you're ungrateful yourself. Right. So I, I kind of appreciated like some of those just little tips, tips and methods and systems and things like that that you can do. You know, very practical. It's a very practical book, which was really nice. Probably things that I didn't like as much. It felt maybe it was the writing style didn't really connect with me in some ways. It felt a little bit shallower <laughs> than some other books. Yeah. You know, of course, this was this was a mom writing, and I'm not a mom, so I don't know if maybe the style it would probably connect more with with a mom than it would with, with dads. <laughs> I don't know, maybe so. But it wasn't it, it wasn't bad. Like this is somewhat of a nitpick, I would say. It's not a it's not a huge huge criticism. I would say, like if I would give it a, a like a five star or like a, a one to five star rating, I'd probably give it three and a half, maybe something like that. Um, yeah, okay, worth reading. Worth reading. I don't know if I'll ever read it again or if I'll stick it on my shelf for future reference, but I'm definitely glad I read it. Is there anything you uh, didn't really like in it or was it pretty much nothing but voluminous praise from you? (laughs) Uh, Poor James. When I was reading this book uh, several weeks ago, he kept getting these uh, rah, rah, rah um, screenshots (laughs) from, from Sean about little things that I was irritated with. I think I would give the the book uh, maybe a four or five star when it comes to what it was trying to get across with gratefulness. Mm-hmm. Definitely hit the mark there, I would say, and was absolutely uh, hitting the nail on the head with entitlement and how it destroys happiness and, and, and goes against what God wants for us, etc. The author was a dramatic person and wrote kind of dramatically (laughs) and I didn't get a lot out of some of her more uh, dramatic sections. The areas where I was most uh, grousing to James was when she let her children kind of throw tantrums. So I would not recommend the book as a, this is how you should handle child training, but (laughs) I would recommend it as um, this is what you need to be thinking about when it comes to gratefulness and entitlement. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, James. I think thank you. I am grateful <laughs> that you were patient with me and uh, listened to my grousing about her yeah. her child training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You kind of phrasing it that way makes me want to kind of clarify my three and a half star rating. I would say content was probably about a four, and I would say a four star rating for me. Like I rate books fairly hard, so four is four is a fairly decent rating. Yeah. But then it would be the the style is about a three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not my style uh, is more what it is. So it's it's more of a complaint about style than it is about content. But yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, there's there's a number of things that she did as far as child training and discipline that I would not do. Um, I kind of raised my eyebrow about that. But <laughs> but overall, as far as gratefulness um, and and 
and teaching about that, I felt like it did a really good job. So yeah, definitely, definitely recommend it. It's, um, and we'll go ahead and put a link in the show notes, but the title once again is Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World by Kristen Welch. So very much recommend it. Um, sounds like between Sean and myself, you have a two thumbs up. <laughs> One thing that I am grateful for is our patrons. We have had a couple more come on recently. I think we're up to uh, lucky number 13, but I am <laughs> not sure. I don't have that number in front of me right now. People that have uh, joined on to help keep support the podcast and keep it moving forward. We're grateful for each one of you. And I'm also grateful to you, James. Thank you for doing a podcast with me. I always sure. enjoy these conversations and um, thankful for the time you take to get uh, the show notes together a lot of times and help keep us moving forward. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm very thankful for the internet. <laughs> like I said earlier, if it wouldn't be for the internet, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. And even more than that, I'm thankful because it allows me to connect with loved ones that are far away, some that are even a continent or so away. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> I have a feeling that our I mean, it's not that our friendship would completely disappear, but um, I think for relationships to thrive, you need to have fairly fairly frequent contact and communication, and we can't communicate physically. Um, we've only done that, what, one time in the last three years you've been around? I think so. But we've somehow been able to stay connected, even so, because of the internet. And I'm also thankful for my family and their, their sacrifices in putting up with me um, taking time to prepare for podcasts and they're currently upstairs uh, banging around making noise, <laughs> which is fine. But oftentimes they do try to keep things quiet so we can have, uh, so it's not quite so noisy for the recording and the editor doesn't have to take out quite so many bumps and bangs and <laughs> children crying and so forth. But uh, it's just part of life. But I appreciate their willingness to sacrifice for this, uh, this podcast. For sure. And we've asked a couple of different times through this episode for you all to send ideas. I would be really interested to hear from you all how you're handling teaching gratitude to your families or else developing gratitude in yourself. I feel like it's something that I still need a lot of work in. So if you have any ideas about that or also about what you want to hear from James in his science section, you can send us an email at lookingoverlife at gmail.com. All right. I think that's it for now. See you later. Ciao.